This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today, Pastor Matt will lead us on our continued discussion of 1 John chapter 4, and we will discover what it means that God is love. Welcome back to the Planted Podcast. This is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm here with Thad Keenel once again. What have you been up to these days, Thad? Uh, well, lately we've been you know, continuing our studies here in 1 John, you and I, and so that's been great. Mm-hmm. Um, but as well been branching off into some of our other studies and our other classes that we hold here. Right. One of them is the the feast study, the feast yeah. of the Yahweh or feast of Israel, as it's known in Exodus 12 and Leviticus 23. And that is coupled with our shadows of Christ class. Right. And I think what's cool about that is that the shadows that are in the Old Testament of Christ, and what that is, is there's, right. there's particular types and little hints of where Christ actually fulfills things. And that begins all the way in Genesis, right? Right. And so... Uh, when you do studies like that, it does a couple of things. Uh, most importantly, I think, is it helps get us familiar with the Old Testament, right? Um, because we we tend as new new covenant people to to want to stay in in the covenant of, right. of of the new the new covenant, you know, in the Gospels and in the epistles. But there's some so much richness in that Old Testament, right. and uh, I find that it makes me love the Lord even more. Amen. And and then the other class that we do on a Sunday morning, the through the Bible class, we decided to we to go through the book of Hebrews and which that's that is the book of Hebrews I mean, he's, <laughs> it is. he's doing that for us so much and so that is really interesting which which is actually related there's going to be some similarity in Hebrews chapter 2 to um of what we had happened to look at the week before we recorded this is the is with here with first John 4 especially as we talk about propitiation again. And we won't spend a lot of time today because we covered it back in chapter two some, but still it's just interesting how uh, there's all these connections between these things. And, and it's just, you know, it just helps us see just how unified the Bible is. I mean, that we always find some discontinuity between some things, but when you look for it and see it, the continuity so outweighs the discontinuity. It really does. And so if you happen to be um, you know, a new believer or you're just being introduced to the gospel and into your Bible studies, um, don't believe people that say you only have to know the New Testament, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's just so much more to it. And God's truth is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Right. So we... We really need to know the whole. And even within the New Testament, or wherever, when they're trying to pit one scripture against another, you know, and, and sh- trying to show some kind of inconsistency, or trying to say, "Well, you're just picking and choosing that, and I'm picking and choosing this, and that kind of thing," you know, it's good to take a breath and look and say, "Oh, you know what? We have some misunderstanding here potentially, but we're gonna we're gonna do our best to believe in the harmony of Scripture, right?" And I think that's what we both try our best to do that. Right, absolutely. And, and when we when we don't see it, we acknowledge it's because it's our fault, not the Bible's fault. Right? <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. then, and then we pray and we wait on the Spirit to help, you know, enlighten right. us with that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as we keep going here in in First John, as we've been wanting to stay true to the Scriptures and bring them out, and also at at the opportune times to talk about evangelism and and how this can help us with that, uh, we we were talking last week about. Um, you know, testing the spirits and and really, you know, bringing up again that John is concerned about false teaching, 
And so he is encouraging the readers to be vigilant in their um, noticing of that, right? And that there's a sharp divide between the believers in the world. And we, you know, we've, we've said many times, there's no neutral ground, you know, in, in, in the Bible. And so, um, and so we need to be ready and notice error and that it, you know, it can lead us to forget the need for, um, though as we, as we do this and as, as he keeps going on in this chapter, what we're going to start to see is that he's, he's very concerned about as we engage with difference and error and so forth, but we don't forget about love. Right, and so this is kind of the love chapter of John, where we have the love chapter of Paul, right, in First Corinthians thirteen. Right, this is kind of the love. This is John's love chapter, uh, in some ways, you could say. And so, which is interesting to think about, you know, Paul's um, context of First Corinthians thirteen, that he's dealing with controversy within the Corinthian church, that as as it relates to um, worship. And the exercise of gifts, and there's disagreements, and there's some abuse, and things happening, and so so there's there's back and forth talking and and lifting certain things over others. And he says, you know, all that stuff that can be like a noise. You know, if you can prophesy, you do know, all this stuff. It's like a clashing symbol, right? Yeah. And so if you don't have love, all that is stuff is important, right? And I think in similar sense that John here is starting to say, okay. We're seeing these. We see these false teachers, and we want to name them. We want to do this, but we got to do it in love, you know. And if 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 we have brothers within the body of Christ who are seem to be giving into this stuff, we need to be able to speak to them, and we got to do it in love. If we don't have love, then you know, then in some senses, you're just going to be that noisy gong, right? <laughs> right? Even what, in right. this situation, right? Because when we're when we're acting outside of love, then we're not acting within the character of God. Exactly. That and that's his point today. So. So now John is going to be asserting, once again, as he has, as we said, there's kind of a circular nature to some of this um, stuff that his arguments, and not just arguments, but his teaching here in this in this letter, that it does circle back there. There is kind of this, and he's circling back to this, and here he's really driving this point home uh, in, in these verses, uh, that the necessity of, of Christians loving one another, um, and, he, and he points to the cross and he applies that as the lifting that up as as where we understand love. So so let's um, I'm going to leave it up to you today, Thad, of how far we're going to read. You want to you want to read through verse twelve, or you want to try to do the whole chapter here? No, we can uh, we can do that. Let's uh, let's go through twelve, and then you know. Okay. You know, we get a little ambitious, don't we? <laughs> we do. I, I don't trust ourselves. Let's, I think I think we can do. Let's do twelve. Okay, so um, I'll, I'll read today from the ESV, and then we'll have you pray for us. Starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Wow, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this time to gather together um, and we do it to the glory 
and the glorious praise of your grace and to your name. We thank you for your word, which is true. And today we're studying about your love and how that can be characterized in us by the spirit who lives within us. Uh, Help us to be diligent to your word and to have your spirit open our ears to the hearing today in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so here in verse seven, we we I think we've talked about this word beloved before. He it's one of the ways he addresses uh, his uh, recipients, right? It's a term of endearment, and and it's it's kind of one of those t- times when we when we have that we have this kind of okay, he's he's in this transition, and we saw that at the beginning of chapter four, and then he's he's like almost okay, okay I got to go again here, and because he's going to start emphasizing love. And introducing that theme, and so as he introduces the theme, he does it by calling the recipients, you know, beloved. And so, um, but with this, but this time he, he he addresses, but he gives a command. And so this, let us love one another. It is a it's a command. He's not just discussing this; he's he's giving an exhortation here. And so it's a first person plural command. To love, and he, it's you know it's in this particularly Joannine way, you know the way John does it, and it is that word agape. Okay, so this is agape love. This isn't filio. This isn't brotherly love. He's talking about this is love that's from God. It's this unconditional love um, that is from God, and so um, and then from there he goes on to say he uses it then to characterize the people of God, whoever loves. Has been born of God and knows God, and so we need to we need to stop there. We've talked about this, I think, a little bit, but we need to stop again and and say, okay, what's this saying? Um, and so, uh, anyone who loves is born of God. So we we know when we see love, right? We see that oh, that person knows and loves God, right? Right. right. So whoa, John, that that seems a that seems pretty universalistic in some senses. So what's what's going on here? Well, from what I'm looking at is um, the idea that when you ha- when you have something like this, as you said, uh, is saying whoever loves is born of God, um, that must be a distinctive type of love, right? There's got to be a distinction yes. factor there because right. – um, I mean, it doesn't really say what we love. I mean, do we love pizza? Does that mean? <laughs> right. I mean, right? I love kittens. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you see how much I love my dog at right. home? I must be, I must have the love of God because I love and dote on my dog. Right? Exactly. So the distinction's got to be something that's related to God's love. Yes. Yes. And that's where knowing what agape means and agape comes from God and, and letting God define love. And I think we've talked about that in the past, right? That, right. But on the other hand, we can have agape love for things that are not holy. Yes. Right. Because it's more of a supreme love. Where do you place, right. where are you placing that love and in, in, in direction to and, and applying it yeah. toward? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So we need to let God define love. Um, and, and that's, and that's what verse eight, he says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so there's, we, and he's going to say that later on too, but we've, this is a, this is a, something that people all over will use the Bible and, and say, God is love, right? And so this is, this is a well-known verse and well-used verse. Is it always used appropriately? Right. Right. And so, um, what I'd like to do is I, uh, J.I. Packer in one of his classic his classic book of Knowing God, um, 
he has a little description here, which I think is is apt to read. And then we can, you know, if we need to discuss, we can. But he, and in talking about this and talking about God is love, he says, um, he has several different points here. I'm just going to be reading from his first point. He says, God is love is not the complete truth about God so far as the Bible is concerned. Uh, and so this is what he says about that. He said, it is not an abstract definition which stands alone, but a summing up from the believer's standpoint of what the whole revelation set forth in Scripture tells us about its author. This statement presupposes all the rest of the biblical witness to God. The God of whom John is speaking is the God who made the world, who judged it by the flood, who called Abraham and made him a nation, who chastened his Old Testament people by conquest, captivity, and exile, who sent his son to save the world, who cast off unbelieving Israel, and shortly before John Roy wrote and had destroyed um, had destroyed Jerusalem. So shortly before John wrote this, this is the same God who had destroyed Jerusalem. <laughs> right. And who would one day judge the world in righteousness. It is this God, John says, who is love. Wow. Right. right. So in one quick summary, um, God's love defined that perfect love of God would also include a proper type of hate, right? Mm. To, to, to have the love of God means that we would hate the things that he hates, right? He hates evil, yes. for example, right? And we can't have perfected love unless we understand that righteousness of God. I mean, that's why J. I. Packard, I think, is saying it's multifaceted, right? We're not just talking about love. Yes. It's not love, 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 right? It's, right, it's love. And, and and we see that love in the whole narrative of Scripture right? and the whole scope of God's redemptive acts. And sometimes those redemptive acts look decreative, like the flood, right? Right. They, they look like judgment upon his chosen called people who are, who are he's going to fulfill his plan through, that he has to lead into captivity and take to exile, you know, and then for all this to happen. And so all those acts are define who God is, and all of them speak to his love and how he's demonstrating that love, right? And if you, tr- if you take all of that out, then you're not seeing the love of God right. in, the, in its fullness, right? Sure, yeah, and so And so, um, so we can't... We can't make God in our image. He, we're made in His image, right? We can't. We can't say, "Oh, this is this. This is who God is because He's love, and this, and I'm going to define love, and therefore let that my definition of love define God." Right. And the other thing that we should probably say is that this love is not just about an emotion, right? right. How we feel about somebody, right. right? I love you in a particular way, right? No, this is this is a love in action in right. a godly form. Yes, and, and that love it shows itself in all those things that J.I. Packer mentioned there as I read it, that those are all shown in, in covenant love, this covenantal um, promise and devotion that God has to fulfill his promise um, for creation and all mankind. And, and as we said back in, in a previous season, that, that Love has shown itself in an internal covenant ultimately between the Father and the Son and the, and the Spirit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, great. So, um, so if you want to learn more about that, go back to our season on, on uh, 
the on reformed theology and specifically looking at that on what's the uh, the the eternal uh, covenant. Yeah, the eternal yeah. covenant. Yeah, that was yeah. just last season. So we're in yeah. season four. Right. That was season three. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're not going to spend any more time on that, but th- that helps us put those parameters around the love of God. Um, but within those parameters that we just talked out there, that love of God still is. Um, it's infinite within God's character, right? Right. right. You know, so it, it is. It, it's exhaustive and extensive uh, within that sense. So, verse nine: In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Oh, we're going to get to see lived out what this love looks like. Mm-hmm. The love of God was made manifest among us. This is oh, John is saying that he and the other apostles were witness to. Oh, didn't he say that back in in 1 John 1 when he opened up? Yeah, we touched with our we saw with our eyes, we touched with our hands. We know. We we've seen the 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 word of life. We we can testify to it. So he's he's bringing this back up again, right? So it was made manifest among us what? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Okay, mm. that's the good news. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so there's the action. There's the action. He was sent in the world. Now, when he says this, I, I like to say, too, that sometimes theologians will use this called the Christ event. So I think when he's talking about him sending the world, and, and so that we might live through him, that, that we need to see that, okay, this includes the incarnation. He was sent in the world. But if we're going to live through him, that we know it's the whole story of Jesus, right? right? It's his life. It's his death. It's his resurrection, it's his, his ascension, his being seated at the right hand of God. Right. And so all of that is being summed up here. Exactly right. Sometimes I'll even say, um, I'll just point to the period of time, I'll say back at the cross, and I'm, I'm referring to the same thing, the whole ministry, his death and resurrection, right, yeah. and ascension even. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we need to, so all of that is the demonstration of the love of God. And so, uh, again, when we think about our Christology, which is the theology of who Jesus is, and we've talked a lot about that in John, especially as it's related to the false teaching, right? Right, because those false teachings are getting their theology of Jesus uh, being 100% God, 100% man wrong. But it's also you can't do Christology with also also doing soteriology, which soteriology is the theology of how. God sent him in the world to save sinners. Right. The particular purpose for him to come in yes, was, to, was to redeem Was to redeem people. mankind and then all of creation. Right. Right. And so that, that's what we have here. We have God sent his only son in the world so that we might live through him. How do we live through him? It's through that's those saving acts that he did on our right. behalf. And right? I just want to qualify something um, because I use the word redeem and we're talking about a, a particular people. Um, and then you said also with creation, and mm-hmm. I think the word um, that would change maybe that definition a little bit from redeemed is the restoration of all things, because certainly not all creation did Christ lay his life down for, you know what right. I'm saying? So there's a, there's there's right. some specifics within that category as yeah. well. Yeah, there is. And, and we talk about justification. He, he makes us right with God, right. but there's a sense in which he's also justifying, he's making all things right. Right? right. So if we go back to our series in Colossians, right, that he is his um, he's the firstborn over all creation. He's also the firstborn over all redemption. Right. And so he's making all things new. Right. And then there's yeah. that all things, all things that comes into context in the Colossians one fifteen to twenty. Exactly. Right. Yep. That, sure. That is related to this um, as well. And so if we go back to um, 
to, but there's a, there's a sense in which we might live through him, that there's that deep tie between humanity and the rest of creation because we're being we made in his image, made to rule and subdue the earth. There's a deep connection there, right? Mm-hmm. And so how we love <laughs> is, is a demonstration of that. And so how we, if we're going to demonstrate this new love of God, this agape love, this love that, uh, that saves and redeems, um, then our love is, is deeply connected to that new life, that new creation that we have. And so if we love as Jesus loved, we become signposts and beacons of light against the darkness, the, the terminology that John uses here of light and dark, right, that shows that new life. And that new life is going to be shown through the love of God, right, this yeah. agape love. And so when we don't witness to that love, we're bad evangelists, we're bad ambassadors, right? Um, we, could, we, we, could, we can say the, sometimes the right things, but if we're not saying it with love, then... We're not. We're not necessarily showing that new creation. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And so when, um, you know, as a distinguishing factor of that love and how that's made um, lived or how that's lived out in the believer, uh, it is. It should be a love that's irrespective of persons, right? So, for example, we should love um, and demonstrate love in a caring way. To people in an equal fashion, right? Let's just say if there's if there's two people on the street, and I don't like the color of one of their hair, right? You know, I, then that shouldn't change the way I right. love on that person right. compared to the other one that seems to be more attractive to me. Sure, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and I confess, you know, that as as a Christian, I I fall short of this. I I I there are times I don't love um, in the right way. You right. Know? Yeah, and that's all about growing in God's grace, right? right? And, and right. I think also with that, and I I lost my train of thought here for a second, but the idea of um, not being able to love those around us perfectly and understanding that right. is to consider the condition that we were in before God set His love upon us. Exactly, and that. So what I'm thinking of is going back to the beginning of First John when He talks about. Walking in the light and all that stuff, and if we if we say we're without sin, yeah, right, then we're liars, right, and so 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 I, I think that, that that's a recognition here that, that God showed His love for us that, that He came and died for us, saying that, that we have such we have this need, right, and so when God's when when John is commanding us and the Holy Spirit's commanding us through John to love, that is the ideal. That's what we're trying to do, but. But we recognize in that this is something we're striving in God's power and through the Spirit to do. But at the same time, I'm going to I'm, I read this and and I'm convicted that I have I haven't loved people well, mm-hmm. right? I oh, haven't yeah. always been a good friend. Uh, I haven't always been a good husband, a good father. I haven't been um, a brother in Christ the way I should have been, you know. And so uh, so I need to acknowledge that when it's pointed out to me, right? Absolutely. And because we're under God's grace, it's not to, it's not to condemn us, but it's to get us to see um, how we're to live that out and and change, right? There's still a repentance involved as we, as we go through this life, right? We're not perfected upon belief. Yeah. And that's why we need, we we need that grace. We need the love of God. And so verse 10, uh, and that as we live through him, as we live this new life through him in this is love, not that we've loved God, Right, because we know we haven't, mm-hmm. um, but that He's loved us, and so 
uh, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so we need, one, the initiatory or initiative of God. God's taking the initiative. He's the one that starts all this. He's the one that makes this new life in us, right? And so we're not taking any credit when we love. We know because God first loved us. So when we do love well and we do live through him, it's by his initiative right? that he's saying here. And so not that we love God, but God loved us. And and how did he most fully demonstrate this? By sending his son. And so that's how, when we think, oh, how should I love? Oh, I should love how Jesus loved. And then he specifically says here that he loved us because he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so I know we mentioned that, you know, back a few episodes ago, talking about that in chapter two, but let's just revisit it quickly, that propitiation um, what does it mean for him to be the propitiation for our sins? Yeah, well, the word propitiation in and of itself, to me, means a satisfaction. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a satisfying thing. You also use the word, it assuages the, the wrath of God, right? right. Um, but the, the Greek word actually more often is used kind of as expiation, yes. which is a removal of sin, right? right? right. So one is, one is something that satisfies and the other one is that takes away sin. And I, when I see this word propitiation, I always think of the Day of Atonement. Exactly. So in what's happening there is both of those things, mm-hmm. right? So the, the, at the mercy seat you know, of God, the, the, the covering is made. And when the covering is made, sins are removed. Are, uh, the wrath of God is assuaged with mm-hmm. that. But then, but then the sins are removed, right? That God doesn't remember them anymore. They're, they're taken away. And so, so you know, both things are happening, there, right? right? Sins are forgiven, and God is, um, therefore, it is saying, I can be in your presence, right? right? I'm not going to be, I, I, my anger, uh, I'm not going to hold my anger against you anymore. Right. right, and both of those are coupled together, and they can't happen in isolation without right. the blood of right. Christ. Exactly. And so it's that that is the love of God, right? That he's willing to accept that sacrifice, Um but more than that, he's willing to be that sacrifice, right? Yeah. right? And so, um, so when we ask ourselves, "Am I willing to sacrifice?" You know, um, am, am I going to let my pride and my stubbornness get in the way, my selfishness get in the way, or am I willing to? I can't, I can't, I can't be the forgiveness for anyone else's sins, but I can um, offer myself right. in service to people, and I can. Seek to understand my brother um, and 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 sister, and um, give up my rights and, and and my time and my expectations to to serve them. Right. Right. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, that doesn't make any sense for for God to set His love on us like that. No, who's going to do that? Nobody's going to do that. Well, if you've got children, you understand that kind of love because without even blinking an eye, we would lay our lives down for our children's sake, right? Well, and, most people would. I'm, right, right. If, you, if, if you have the, if you have an appropriate love <laughs> right. for your family, yeah. right? And I'm, and yeah. if you if you can't think of them, if you can't love them when they're teenagers, let's go back to when they're like three or something. <laughs> but the but the idea is we we would. I mean, and that it's, before they could talk back at you, maybe let's go back to you're when ruining my analogy. Let's go, back to when let's go back to when they're eighteen months old, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. No, but yeah, we we do, you know, and, and that's what's but that, cool. Yeah, but the whole point of that was to say that that's because that's that's a family. That is right. right? That's that's the family thing, and he is 
he's making us part of his family. He is, right? And that's why he's calling us beloved here, you yeah. know, too. So um, so we get that again in verse 11, beloved, <laughs> right? If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, right? And, and that that's pretty straightforward and clear, but I think we have to continually apply that in how we know God. And to think that we can really learn to love without getting to know God, you know, is is just false. Right. We have to know his love and and know him on his terms and as he's revealed through his revelation. God wants to be known. He wants us to know his love. So he's given us the scriptures and he's given us Jesus. He's As Hebrews says, he's spoken to us in these last days through his son. Right. Yeah. So if you want to get to know the love of God, get to know Jesus, mm, yeah. you know. Um, and if you want to learn how to love people, learn to love how Jesus loved. Right. This is an exclusive text, and I think that's um, helpful for us when yeah. we're reading the Bible to to make sure that we're reading it in context. So we can't apply everything that's written here to everybody in the world. This is written to the beloved, yes. right? And that the beloved to, to this is believers, those right. who are part of the congregation that are professing Christ, right? And this is what this is, beloved, if God lo- because God loved us, right? All of All of these things. So we... Um, I think sometimes we can get ourselves outside of biblical truth when we say that God loves everybody the same. Yeah, you know, right. and so that right. th- those are things that we got to wrestle through. It doesn't sound right to us, but there's right. It yeah, and so and then even within that context, you know, as as a brother in Christ, I could even use this against you and say, "Hey, Thad, um, you're my we're brothers in Christ, right? Um, and for you to love me, you know, I want to do X, Y, Z." And so, uh, so if you love me, you're going to let me do those mm, things, right? Right, uh, and it doesn't always work out that way, right? No, yeah, uh, no, it, <laughs> it doesn't. You know, so so there, uh, so we we need to let all the scriptures speak to us in terms of how we love one another, um, but but we ought to love one another, and if and if we're having trouble loving each other, then then as if if we're brothers in Christ, we should work really hard to try to make that happen. Right. Now, because it says uh, we ought to also love one another, and, and John brings this up and even in his gospel, I think, but um, uh, this this is also maybe a distinguishing thing when it says love one another. It looks like it's first and foremost within the body. Yes. No, oh, that's exactly what I'm saying. But the, what's made me, you and I have both experienced yeah. conflict within the church. Right. Oh, yeah. We've had we've had people I've hurt been the cause of your problems, <laughs> <laughs> right? But we've had some we've each had some serious stuff, yeah, right. And and we ought to love one another, but yet even within the body, even within the, that this brotherly love is supposed to be happening, the church experiences this, right? And, and so we have to. It, but if this is what God is saying, then we have to be willing to go through the hard times of reconciliation and forgiveness and love and learning how to do that. Right. You know, because of this let me, commitment. Let me ask you a question. Because of this commitment. Because right this here. is, you know, this is this can hit home. Um, sometimes it doesn't feel like reconciliation happens or it's not made available. Yes. So right. what what do we do? Um, I mean, we can only do so much in and of ourselves, right? Right. But if, we, if we're checking our hearts that we've We've reached out appropriately. Yeah. Um, are we okay to let that go? Right. Um, if it's if it's if it's not reconciled, I mean, how how hard should we chase that down? 
That's a great question. I, actually, I was just having this conversation with a, a little group of guys that we meet, and we've been talking about this and looking at Jesus. And, you know, Jesus didn't chase people a whole lot. You know, he he offered the love, he, he spoke it, and it was always open to be received. But, it, but when people rejected him, right, he didn't necessarily chase after them. You know, he, he would give a teaching, you know, and, and at one point, like with the disciples, he says, a bunch of the large crowds that were following him, they turned away at one point. And he turns to the disciples and goes, are you going to turn away too? Instead of chasing after them, he turned to his disciples and said, you know, here's your opportunity. Are you going to keep following me or aren't you? You know, right. kind of thing. Now, 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 I'm not saying that we're not in the position of Jesus, but at the same time, so I think we, we pursue that reconciliation. We do what the scriptures tell us to do. And at some point when people don't respond, I think we can say we've done enough. Right. Right, we have to do the hard work and be willing to listen and let people come and and do all that stuff. But at some point, when the offer's on the table and people don't come, I don't know that we have to chase. Right, right. But when they come back, we have to be willing. That's right. Yeah, right. That, so that's the thing is, so is I'm pushing people away to or remain or, open to are reconciliation. My, are my hands open? Right, right. And if my hands are open and someone's not coming, I think I'm still loving. Right. Even we may be, we may not dis, we may disagree, but the point is, is that that that's there. And so I think that that's that's a great question you ask, and I think we need to we need to see and ask, you know, what did Jesus do yeah. in those situations? Then on the other right, and then on the other hand, if I'm doing, if I'm the one that's that's resistant, if I'm pushing away, right. then I better check my heart. Yeah. Right, because I am. I'm acting against what God is desiring right. in our right. in our right. lives, right? Yeah, and you think about some of those examples in Scripture. Think about Abraham and um, and Lot. You know, they parted ways for a time, right? And agreed to live different places. Um, you think, uh, but more specifically in the New Testament, you think about Paul and Barnabas, right? Right, and there was a time when they chose to go different ways. I hopefully they did that in love, right? That, but, but they did. And so, so are those, those, there are all those times that happen, and we do see that later on they come back together, right? That reconciliation, you know, in terms of, or maybe I don't know if that's, they were unreconciled, but they, they chose not to work together, right? Yeah, and yeah. so they, but then they did came up, were able to do that. So, so I think it's just important to, to know that um, that's, that's the reality within the body of Christ, even, too. We can't just say, oh, oh, that's just the world and not within the church, because it does happen within the church. Right. The whole idea yeah. is that we don't act like, we don't behave like the world. Yes. Right? We want to be, right. behave the way Christ would. Exactly. And so then verse 12, um, this really interesting, it's almost like I wonder, okay, why are you going here, Paul? I'm Paul. I mean, John, why are you going here? No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and... His, per, his love is perfect in us. So why all of a sudden jump to no one's ever seen God? What's that have to do with this? Um, well, I think a little bit of it has to do with the fact of uh, what he's saying is, how do people see God? God is spirit. No one has ever seen him. You know, we've seen Jesus. He was made manifest to us in Christ. But here he says, no one has ever seen him. Um, well, what do people see? Have you ever seen God, Dad? No, I mean, no. Okay, but what have you seen? How have you been a witness to God? Well, first of all, through his son, Jesus Christ, that's first and foremost, right? Yeah. The, the witness of what he's done. But you weren't, you weren't there in the time of John. I wasn't, so, so that relies. So what have you seen? 
the testimony of others through time. Yes. And so that's part of it. And then also the testimony that lives within me, the spirit. Yes. And through all that, wouldn't you also say you've seen the love of God in others? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what he's getting at here, right? Well, it was actually the love of others um, that drew me into the church, right? Yeah. Because somebody actually reached out and said, right. hey, come come in here for a minute. Right. I want to show you something. Right. You know? And so that was somebody that was acting in lo- the love of Christ and was being obedient to the right. love of Christ and resembled the love of Christ. Exactly. And even though at that time I was maybe filled with resentment about whatever the case may be, um, the draw of the Holy Spirit, you know, pulled me in and and opened my ears to the hearing of that truth, and that's all by His grace, right? But still, the 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 means of that grace was bestowed through through the church, right? And so you saw God abiding or living in others, yeah. And that li- that living in others showed itself in love to you, right? And so therefore, even though you never saw God, <laughs> you saw and experienced the love of God residing or abiding, living in others, dwelling in others. And that's what he's saying. And it's in this that he says, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Oh, wait, I thought God's love was already perfected. Perfect, right? Why does God's love need to be perfected? What's what's happening there? What's he talking about? Yeah, so um, I think, first of all, depending, the, the perfect part of the love that's in us is, is taken are in justification completely, right? We've been saved by his love. Mm-hmm. But the individual believer goes through a growth process through their through their Christian life of, of the growing in the graces of God, right? So we call that sanctification as we go from one stage of glory to the other. And that's how I'm seeing this first off. There might be more to it. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that that happens, but I think we also need to look at the corporate part of this. He's talking about it being perfected in us together, and I think there is something about that body of Christ demonstrating the love, which happens in individuals, right? But then also collectively, that it is it. What I think is happening here is this word is is the word telios, or from the word telos, which is to bring to completion, uh, to. Uh, the end mean, you know, the telos being the end of something, the completion of something. And then here we have, uh, you know, teleosis or te- te- uh, to make perfect. And it, and it is in the moral sense, but it's it's also the causing that perfection. So what's happening here is that the the love of God, as it's demonstrated through the people of God, is 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 meeting its end, right? So just that very testimony you gave, about yourself and how the love of others brought you back into the body and brought you to that, right? That's the end means of why God is saving, <laughs> right? That that it's it is to bring about this peep the people the people of God to become who they're supposed to be. Right. And that is the body of Christ. Yeah. So this right um does this describe uh the body of Christ in his kingdom here on earth then, do you think? You know what I'm saying? Because we're, we are, as the church, mm-hmm. to be displaying the love of Christ, right? And it says that we are his body now, right? Right. Um, and that is, that's only done because of the spirit that lives within us. So as that body um, lives and functions, even though it's still not perfect you know, in action, mm-hmm. it's perfected in how it displays the love of Christ as it behaves like Christ? Um. 
Yeah. I mean, I think there is that already not yet to this, right? In terms of there's, we talked about this in some other contexts, you know, like I think we were even in Colossians when Paul was striving, you know, to, you know, to do the ministry, right? Um, that something was not yet complete. He was like, he's trying to make this complete, uh, the, you know, the love of Christ complete or right. something like that. And so, uh, so I think, again, this is, this has been inaugurated. It's begun in us. And so it's showing itself in that even now. We know the full completion of it's going to happen one day uh, when, the, when the people of God will fully show his love and appropriately at all times and all places. And then also the people of God will themselves be complete because all the number will be brought into the fold as it is, which hasn't necessarily happened yet. But I think what he is saying here is that as God is abiding in believers, right, as that is happening in us, his love is perfected in us, that it is happening, right? And it's happening in that fullness, but it's it's still it's still in this tense that is given to us here. Um, Do you think there's, uh, I mean, obviously verse 13, I think is going to connect the dots a little bit too, yeah. even though we haven't read that yet. Right. Yeah, but we we're going to know this as as he gives us his spirit, and we'll get into that next time. We'll we'll pick this up next time and 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 bring it. Uh, Way to leave me hanging. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but as we do that, I think it is important to say that the there this there's a real sincerity um, to what is happening, and so to say that God's love is perfected. It's not suggesting any kind of deficiency in God's love, right? But we are to take this word to complete is he's to bring it to its in, he's bringing it to its intended outcome, right? In us, um, and so uh, to uh, this this is from the ESV commentary that I use um, here some, um, and they're actually quoting um, another guy Yarbrough. Um, he says here, God's already pristine love finds um, its fullest possible earthly expression as people respond to the message of Christ and reach out to one another as a result. Thus, the way for God to be seen or recognized for people is to see he is real, is for Christians actively and aggressively caring for and loving one another. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm brought to that verse, you know, in Corinthians, I'm not sure where it's at, but um, where it says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding it as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed yes. into that image, right? right? And that's kind of where I was leading with yeah. that, that whole, right. we know the spirits within us and we're going through sanctification from glory right. to glory. Exactly. But I, I see that as part of the, the full package um, corporately, you know, yes. as a body of believers. Yes, yes. And that, and that shows itself. And that should be, we should see the fruit of that in our characters. But I think when that's done well, and that community is living that well, we should see itself that as those God's, God is drawing to himself, we'll be attracted to that, and we'll see conversion. We'll see, the new pe- we'll see more people be drawn to that as they see the love of God, and they'll say, I want to be a part of that, right? And the Holy Spirit's going to draw them and quicken their hearts through that and bring them to faith in Christ. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's that it's that 
being salt and light in the world in that sense. As as we more as we do that, people will see God. They'll see Christ, and they'll say, "Oh, just like the testimony you shared, right, uh, about yourself." That that's what's going to happen. And so, um, so people often, you know, will say to me, "Well, how how do I do evangelism well, right? How do how do we do this well?" And I think sometimes we need to be able to clearly communicate the gospel, right? But we also, as a community, need to be clearly show the love of God. And I think, especially today, in an information age where there's so much people can read out there on the internet about the Bible and about Jesus and about world religions and all this stuff, there's plenty of information. And as a result of that, we need to be good apologists and have a ready, good, clear defense. But I think more so, it's not like we just need to have a bunch of brains out there who can convince people that, that in a world today, one of the most attractive things is going to be is the community. Right. And, and as that, we draw people into the community, right, then God's going to work on their minds. Right. And all of the works of the church when we're doing outreach and stuff like that must be communicated, um, combined with the gospel, right? right. So, for example, um, when we— People say, you know, when you give a cup of cold water, you right. know, that's that that's showing love. Right. Well, it's true, but the gospel caveats, that doesn't caveat it, but it adds to it. If you give a cup of cold water in the name of Christ. Exactly. Right. So there is, there's, a, right. there's the action of love, but it's attached to the gospel. It, always, always. Right. Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, I think one of the most powerful things we can do in evangelism is, is love one another. <laughs> right. But we never do it apart from defining the love of God in Christ, because that's what he does right here. So we love one another as a witness to Jesus, but in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Um, And so we love evangelistically, but we always tell the story of what Jesus did. That's great. All right. Look forward to seeing you next time or hearing from us next time as you join the Planet Podcast. Sounds great. Have a great day, everybody. look forward to having you join us next time as we look deeper into abiding in God and how that's made possible by the Spirit. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.